You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. So listen, my friends, go in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. And I think, I think what I want to do for this morning, which is maybe a little different, I'm, I'm going to read, actually, I've had to think about how do I want to do this. I'm actually going to read this section of scripture. It's the first 17 verses. I'm not going to do the whole thing. But I'm going to actually ask you, just as, in, as, a, as a faith step, as an honor unto God, to actually stand up while I read that. So I'm in Romans chapter 4. You can use your digital device or hopefully your paper Bible. And just hang in there for me while I read this. Verse 1, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted as a gift, or not counted as a gift, excuse me, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so, Father, give, I pray, supernaturally tremendous anointing and power to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Thank you so much, church. Thank you so much. So this message is entitled, If You Believe by Faith. If You Believe by Faith. And it might be arguably the most simple message I've preached all year. I, that's what I kind of had to wrestle with. I go, this is, this is a, an unbelievably simple message. The Apostle Paul, in the prior chapter, so we're in chapter 4, so in the prior th- three chapters, has actually been using theological language. He's been using biblical terminology like redemption, Words like justification, these are theological terms that he has been using to really say to us that we have no business before God being self-righteous. In fact, he's letting us know self-righteousness is actually a very serious problem for every single human. Self-righteousness actually destroys our faith. It takes us away from faith. It actually keeps us from salvation. Or if we've actually come to know Jesus, it actually stops us right in our tracks. It's like a quicksand and you begin to sink and sink because you have no spiritual power. You have nothing supernaturally outside of you working inside of you. 
Self-righteousness actually does that. It's that damaging. It's actually that damning. And Paul here, when he brings this up, when he says, what shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather to the flesh? He's operating like a rabbi. He knows that the Jews are not buying it. He knows that the Gentiles, they're not buying it. He knows that the Romans, they're not buying it. When he brings up these theological issues like self-righteousness is a really serious human condition problem, he's understanding that nobody else is really necessarily buying that. And so to the Jews and to the Christian, he's going to bring up Abraham. And he's going to say, okay, well, let's just talk about Abraham. Let's talk about this sensitive issue called circumcision and the flesh and how it worked even in Abraham's way. Now, speaking about self-righteousness, there's sort of, there's sort of maybe just maybe as a practicum, there's kind of two ways in terms of what I like to call street evangelism to sort of operate as a street evangelist. And so one, one way is related to something called the four spiritual laws. It's the training that my wife and I got. It's a basic booklet that says law one. Let's see, law one. God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. How many of you guys like that? Yes, amen? Yeah, great. That's great. Okay, law two. But man is sinful and separated from God. Therefore, he cannot know and experience God's love and plan for his life. And law one, John 10.10 is quoted. John 3.16 is quoted. And law two, uh, Romans chapter three, verse 23 is quoted. And then, so then in law four of that little booklet presentation for street evangelism, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. And that's how you can know and experience God's love and plan for your life. And he's going to quote John chapter one, verse 12, which has to do with the fact that we could all be sons and daughters of God. And he's going to mention 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, this is all by, by faith through grace. And then the last one's very personal. You must individually receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. All right, so, so that's like basic Jesus gospel. So you can be in a street evangelist, and you can be on the Mexico mission trip. You can be on other places. You could just be in your, uh, whatever it is, and you can have this little booklet, and you can say, have you heard the four spiritual laws, and kind of read it. And I've literally given this to people, and I've read it. We've all read it out loud. I've watched people get saved. All right, but now there, one of the issues inside that booklet will deal with self-righteousness. There's a circle, and it'll be on the left. And this is the self-directed life, and that's what it's getting at, self-righteousness. And then there's a circle on the right, which is Christ-righteousness. And who's at the center? It's got a little hokey diagram of like a chair trying to represent a throne, but you sort of get the idea. There's another way of thinking it, and it's to use the Ten Commandments. It's all related to exactly what he's talking about with Abraham. Here is Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Self-righteousness, so the Ten Commandments. This was actually kind of fun. Now, 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 some of you know me enough to know that I'm weird. And so socially, uh, but so are some of you. And so socially, I have been known on occasion, you know, to put 
to just open my mouth and go, oh, Lord Jesus, what did I just do? And so right before COVID, I met this wonderful couple that was just walking in downtown San Inez. And, you know, that's pretty rare because there's only about two people in downtown San Inez, right? This is not an urban zone at all. And so there was this wonderful, wonderful, they're a 25-year-old couple. They've been married a couple of years. They were just, they just were gorgeous people, and I end up, you know, standing next to them. And so, of course, it's me. And so I'm not going to be quiet about that for some reason socially. And so it's totally awkward. But I just say to them, you guys are a gorgeous looking couple. I mean, you are the beautiful people. I mean, wow. And you look so wonderful and so charming. And I just, I just, I just like just looking at you, which made them feel really weird. So the wife, the young wife, you know, snuggles into the husband and grabs him by the side. And she says something like, this is a great place, San Inez. We should visit more often. People walk down the street and compliment us. And, and so, so now I'm with these people that I don't know. And I'm just it's as awkward as can be. And I feel like walking away. But is Pastor Rick Soto going to walk away? No. Yeah, you guys know me. Good. So now I'm going, well, how can we talk about Jesus? And so I didn't have a four-law booklet in me. So, you know, there's really, in terms of street evangelism, only two bullets. One is the, you know, four laws that I have in terms of another one is the Ten Commandments. So I look at these guys. I say, guys, listen, if you don't mind me saying so, <laughs> uh, I pastor this church in town, and I, I really love talking about God and the Bible and Jesus. Do you mind if I do that with you for a few moments? They say, no, we don't mind at all. That would be wonderful. I go, that's incredible. I go, that's just really great. Shows that you're all the more wonderful. And so I sit there and go, okay, well, listen, <clears throat> related, related to something, let's just talk about the Ten Commandments. Do you know what the Ten Commandments are? And they go, well, we've heard of them. Yes, we kind of understand them. You know, and the guy says vaguely, you know, I go, I'm not going to ask you to quote them, and I'm not going to quote them to you. But let me just say that it begins talking about God. For example, the Ten Commandments start with, there are no other gods before me, only one. And this God delivered the Jews out of slavery into freedom, out of Egypt, into their promised land. Can you follow that? I go, yeah, we can follow that. So then there's other teachings that are more on that spiritual nature, the Sabbath and other things like that. And then the, the second part of what we call the Ten Commandments is the things that we would under, under understand. You know, like, let's not kill each other. You know, that would be great. And uh, let's not steal from one another. That would even be better. And let's not really even have coveting and, you know, adultery. Let's just do away with all those kind of things, you know. So, so that's, that's sort of the Ten Commandments very quickly. And they go, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. I go, would you, would you say that the Ten Commandments are divine? Church, is the Ten Commandments divine? Yeah. Okay, so they, they go, well, I think it is. It probably, those words, something like that probably is from God. It probably is from God. Okay, so, so now we're in a conversation. So now I'm excited. I'm like, okay, he's like, Jesus has got you. And so you have 10 commandments. You know them vaguely. You're saying that they're probably from God or they are from God. And so therefore, let me ask you just a question. You guys are beautiful. You're charming. I like you. You come over and hang over with my wife. This is just unbelievable. Let me ask you, have you ever broken any of these laws? And it was that quiet. <laughs> and I just let it hang. Well, probably, probably we have. Okay, so it's easy. If you were going 75 in a 65 mile an hour zone, you therefore have a penalty that you're going to pay. What do you think the penalty is for breaking the Creator God's 
laws who birthed everything into existence and holds it in his hands. What do you think the penalty is? I don't know. Would it be safe to say that it's serious? I don't like thinking that. Could it possibly be death? That would be terrible. Okay, so how are you going to therefore take care of that with God? How is that going to come about? You know this. It's either where you were, where you are, or hopefully what you've snapped out of. I'll try and be a better person. Who's ever done that? Okay, does it work? No, it doesn't work. But please, go be a better person. Um, I'll try and do this. I'll try and do that. I'll try and do this. I'll try and do that. It doesn't work. All of that is called self-righteousness. And what needs to happen, and it's what I told these people, was that you just need to cry out for mercy from God to save you from that place. Because you know intuitively, like you don't even know to quote the Ten Commandments, but you have a conscience and an intuition that they're actually from God and divine and that you should hold to them, that you've broken them, and that you do not know what to do with it. <laughs> just an aside and just for, just for fun. So when I told them that you've broken those, those laws and that the penalty could be considered death or actually is death, the wife looked at me and she said, I don't know if you're a very good pastor. <laughs> I didn't take it personal. I still said they're wonderful. But that is the issue that Paul is getting at here in Romans chapter 4. That's, what these, that's why I read to the beginning why I wanted to read this whole section at once just so that you get what he's talking about because he's mentioning Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was actually counted to him as righteousness. Abraham. Now he's a fascinating character. This is Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 13, 14, 15 and on. And so he's living originally in Iraq, Iran's border. And God tells him, you're going to be the father. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means the father of many. And so he goes on a walk. And most of you don't maybe understand the Bible's geography. He didn't go in a straight line because you don't want to go straight, a straight line. That's a, that's a terrible desert. It's called the Fertile Crescent. And so he's going to go on an ark. He's going to come down to the promised land of holy Israel as we know it today. And there God is going to meet with them. And he is a highly imperfect person. Genesis chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. He's not perfect. This brother in the Lord is not able to walk in a straight line. And God is with him. And so Abraham merely believes God. At the time of this believing God and counting righteousness, as it said, he's been with the Lord for a long time. And he looks and he says, I don't have an heir. I only got this guy named Eleazar, and God says, no, that's not going to be your heir. 
you're going you're gonna to be, you're going to have many, many children. And as a caravan, as he's going on these caravans, and people say, Abraham is coming. His name would mean the father of many. Oh, where are all your children? You have no children. How are you calling yourself Abraham? See, his name probably would have humiliated him. His name would have pained him for years and years and years, and God doesn't fulfill his promise. And so he takes matters literally into his own hands when, you know, as an old guy, listen, it's pretty earthy, you know, but his wife says, oh, okay, we've got to figure out this promise. I have a young maiden here. She's quite charming and good looking, and so why don't we let that whole thing take place? And that's a very G-rated preaching right there. And Abraham goes, okay. <laughs> and so these are all the man ways of trying to solve the problems that God is doing. And God comes to him and says, it is not Ishmael. It is not Eleazar that you actually will have at the age of 99 an heir and your wife is going to have a baby. And I mean, I don't really know how this went. You know, you, you, this, is, this, is, this is actually the text of Genesis. This is actually what's referenced here. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. He's almost 100 years old, and he's going to have Isaac as his heir. And so all of a sudden, he's out with God. That's what his wife would know, that he's basically in Christian context. He's out having a quiet time with God. And then he comes back, and she says, Oh, honey, how was your devotion? What did God say to you? We should probably talk in the bedroom. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it means. Like, no, I don't think you heard from God, honey. I don't, think, I don't think that's the case. But that was the miracle that these old people, 100 years old, unable to bear children their entire life, and God would supernaturally fulfill that promise. Some thoughts on self-righteousness. In Jesus' ministry, so some of his healing ministry was related to self-righteousness. So, for example, Mark chapter 2 had to do with the forgiveness of sin. What is it easier to say? I can forgive your sin or rise up and walk. In the entire context is Jesus trying to teach the locals, if you'll say it that way, that self-righteousness is one of the reasons why you're not seeing supernatural work and seeing dynamic healing. You should be praying for this man to be healed. It's also, in terms of Jesus, self-righteousness was part of his teaching. This is really potent related to uh, Luke chapter 15 and the, the parable of the prodigal son. We said the prodigal son has so many nuances. It's a great short story that Jesus gave us. But one of the things is related to it is that the younger son, the younger son says to the father, he's going to inherit something. He says, Father, I want my inheritance now, which means he's going to break the family trust. I mean, anybody who has a family situation like this would know. Going to break the family trust. It means the rest of the family is going to have negative tax implications. It means that they're going to have you know, less for themselves. It means there's going to be all kinds of problems. But the father does that. He breaks the inheritance. He gives it to the youngest kid, and he goes off, and he wastes it. He wastes it so bad that when he's in the darkest and darkest place, he says, the people who work for my father, simply cleaning things and cleaning that as the most menial of labor, are better off than I am. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to ask my father, in Jesus' name I rebuke you. And a uh, little demon fly, get out of here. And so, and so he, he comes and says, I'll, I'll go work for my father. 
So now he's coming back home, and the father's looking for him. And there's a couple of praise songs through the years that have been wonderful about how the father ran, and he runs for him, and he runs for him, and he, you know, he has to pick up his, sort of his garments, and he has to run in a really humiliated way, and he goes, and he grabs, and he grabs his son. It's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And so, so often we teach it from that angle. That would be correct, but we miss something. There's another character in this story, actually. Do you know it? The older brother. And the older brother has this self-righteous problem. He's actually angry at the father for welcoming back his son. He's actually angry at the father for bringing his brother back into the fold. And, he's, and he actually has curse and short words for him. Those are self-righteous issues. And Jesus is teaching related to those things to actually help us understand that that is a very, very serious problem. Related to Abraham and Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 4, the word counted, which in other of your translations is reckoned, it means the same thing. Logizomai in the original language is simply a mere accounting term as you would understand it. You have debits and you have credits and you transfer money back and forth and you have an accounting ledger. That's simply what it means. It is a transferring back in an accounting ledger of credits and debits. And sometimes it's a credit and sometimes it's a debit. It's merely that he was counting, crediting to Abraham's account all of God's righteousness, which is actually what was part of God's will. It is God's will that you have his righteousness. And because it's God's will that you have his righteousness, you cannot have your own, which doesn't work anyway. Let's look at David here, church. Just as David also speaks of the blessing. In your Bible, circle that word blessing. Of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered, and blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. He's quoting Psalm 32. So let me tell you what I think Psalm 32 is. I think Psalm 32 is a commentary of David as an older gentleman on, on Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is his prayer of confession. It's, it's, it's guttural. It's, it's intense. It's, you know, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Uh, you know, those kind of phraseologies are part of Psalm 51. Years later, as I understand it, Psalm 32 is written by David, and he's talking about this forgiveness of God. And remember, I talked about the Ten Commandments. The way to understand David's sin is to understand in one moment of his life, he broke all of them. As God's promised child, and he would ask for God's mercy, he would receive it. And so later on, he would quote this very quote, which is in the text related to blessed are those whose lawless deeds are actually forgiven. And then Paul will, will work through the rest of this, mentioning circumcision and uncircumcision. And he wants the Jews and the Gentiles both to know that it was God's will that we have a father who could show us that salvation is for everybody. And so Abraham would receive this rite of circumcision much later, not before. He would actually believe God and it would be credited credit to him as righteousness. 
From here, Paul will actually begin to pivot. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. Many theologians and preachers through the years talk about uh, the positivity of those chapters, and they are profound, all the way to chapter 12. But Paul's camping here in much the same way that Jesus camped to allow us to understand this is a problem. I'm going to push on self-righteousness a little farther and then run for home. So, for example, I've talked in prior weeks about there's intellectual self-righteousness. And there's moral self-righteousness. There's my friends that I was talking to on the street. Uh, they were by all manner what would be considered basically moral people but they're thinking that basic morality is going to justify them for God as people who are actually sinful and not perfect. It's not going to work. There's religious self-righteousness, which uh, Christians can participate in, and there's institutions like that. There's Jewish self-righteousness, which is exactly what Paul is getting at. But perhaps for a few moments, there's something easier to understand, and it's what I call American self-righteousness. There's lots of nuances to American self-righteousness. So most stereotypically, we would call it the American dream, the spouse, the house, the kid, 2.5 kids, never understood that, uh, and uh, the money, the vacations, all of that, and all of those things in and of themselves, please go have them. But trusting in those and thinking because you have those things, therefore God would be good with you is a tremendous deception. There's American self-righteousness related to social media, and this is actually really perverting a whole series of generations related to popularity. So in social media and all the different channels, which half the time my kids have to help me on now, don't judge me, uh, you haven't done anything worthy and you're famous or popular. Maybe it was something vulgar and very embarrassing, something we would never talk about, or maybe it was just a gimmick, and so because of a gimmick, you have 2 million followers or 5 million followers or 10 million hits, and so, so all of a sudden you've become somebody off of a gimmick, but there's no substance, and so our whole culture loves that. They love the popularity game. It's a form of American self-righteousness. You can... Uh, you know, you can kind of see this maybe with greater clarity at something called the Academy Awards, which is really just really kind of something you shake your head at. And I, I get so frustrated at how easily everyone is deceived by the Academy Awards of movies and film. And I love movies and films. I'm not saying not to go. You'll often catch me just relaxing, watching a show. But to say about what is going on there is that we have an Academy Awards because they have a metric that lets them know that once they do the Academy Awards and have the Academy Awards, entire American society is deceived and thinks, oh, the very movie that I saw, I should go see again, and they make another billion or half billion dollars. And then at the award ceremony, people who have no business talking about anything other than thank you that I'm an artist and I just made $10 million and in the history of art, I'm an artist who's making millions and millions of dollars and all I should say to you is thank you, thank you very much, I'm the luckiest person in the world and go sit down. They then think of themselves as a philosopher or a theologian or frankly as someone very important merely because of popularity. Those are forms of American self-righteousness. 
I'm going to read to you from Psalm 32, verse 7. You can go there, and I'm going to have a prayer with you. And I want you to understand what David is saying related to being snapped out of self-righteousness. What David has been saying earlier in, in Romans, of course, quoting the same Psalm 32, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Now in verse 7, he has something that I want you to see. So he's giving you a meditation of the Christian life. He's giving you a meditation of what it means to walk with God. He's going to tell you the miracle of salvation, what God is going to do. And in verse 7, you know what's the first phrase he has for you? The blessing, the blessing of being in Christ, the blessing of having your sins forgiven. He's going to say, God, you are my hiding place. That's a blessing. Let me ask you, church, if you felt some serious pressure in your professional or personal life this week. You want to just raise your hands with me? Anybody? Anybody felt some serious pressure? You know what the blessing is in Christ? He's your hiding place. Verse 7, I'm quoting now out of Psalm 32. You preserve me from trouble. It's the next line that I want you to grab a hold of. You surround me. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. You surround me. That is like, that is like I want you to picture heaven like a stadium. And it's like there's a stadium around you. And there's like angels around you. And there's God's people around you. It's like a stadium. And they're surrounding your life. And they're surrounding your life. And they have shouts. They're not just cheering. They're not just saying good job. They have shouts and shouts and shouts and shouts of deliverance. Shouts of deliverance upon your life. Shouts of deliverance upon your life. They are shouting it. They are shouting it with tremendous enthusiasm. You are my hiding place. That is the blessing. You preserve me from trouble. That is the blessing. And you surround me with shouts of deliverance. This is your God. This is your Savior. This is the one who loves you. This is the one who holds you in your darkest hour, in your sickest moment, in your greatest despair, who, as the scripture says, is faithful when you have no faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is your God who surrounds you with shouts of deliverance. The enjoyment of that comes as you begin to take some steps of faith and cross some lines. There is the invitation to come to Christ. I told you about the four laws and who is actually in control of your life in terms of a circle. Circle on the left, you're not. Circle on the right, Jesus Christ in the center. Or a greater understanding that if I were to hold the Ten Commandments up to you, you would, by Jesus' teaching in your heart, have broken them. You need to be saved. You need to come to salvation. You need to place your faith of Jesus Christ in the center of your life. Then, of course, there's the nurturing of our faith, where most of us find us. The need for prayer, the need for greater power, the need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, the need to be recentered and to be having 
every negativity broken off of us, to have demons broken off of us, to have guilt and shame is nothing that you were ever designed to carry. It's supposed to be on the cross. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to respond with me related to these things. So pray with me, church. Lord Jesus, I pray over the church right now, and I pray these things to be true, God, spiritually. And I pray, God, that you would come now by the power of the Holy Spirit and free our hearts and our minds and our souls and our spirits to be completely alive to you in a baptism of love, in waves and waves of spiritual power, of truth, of goodness, of sweetness, of holiness, and of life. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.